You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm John Ka, and we've got a solo pod again today. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. We'll be joined later in the show by Pitcherlist writer Martin Sikulski to talk about top-hitting prospects that might have an impact next season on your fantasy teams, as well as first-year player draft targets. Before we get into it, just a reminder that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to. We're on all of them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show. We actually have our first news and notes section of the offseason. Feels like it's been a couple weeks since we've done one of these. Starting out with Aaron Bummer from the White Sox. He was traded to Atlanta for Michael Soroka, Jared Schuster, Nicky Lopez, Braden Shoemake, and Riley Goins. Soroka is probably the most interesting name in this trade. After his breakout season in 2019, where he was named an all-star, it finished second to Pete Alonso in the National League Rookie of the Year race. He's only really managed to pitch in 10 games in the past three seasons due to multiple Achilles injuries. However, because of service time, he would have been a free agent after next season, so likely Atlanta just wanted to get something in return for Soroka rather than letting him go for free. Bummer, on the other hand, did not really have a great 2023. He had finished with a 6.79 ERA and a 1.53 whip in 58 innings in relief, but he does have pretty good strikeout numbers. Just couldn't stop walking batters in um, in his appearances this year. The other name of note in this trade is probably Jared Schuster. He started 11 games for Atlanta this past season, finishing with a 5.81 ERA and a 1.5 whip. Overall, not great numbers, but he showed a little promise when he faced up against Seattle in May, limiting their offense to one run uh, and one hit that was basically off a homer over six innings with seven strikeouts. Atlanta also traded another young pitcher, Kyle Wright, to the Royals for Jackson Kowar, who is a former first-round pick. Wright really only pitched in 2022, racking up 180 innings over 30 games, finishing with a 3.19 ERA and a 1.16 whip. Pretty decent numbers. He also won 21 games to lead the National League, so the future looked pretty bright for him. However, he dealt with injury for most of 2023, related to his shoulder specifically, and underwent surgery in October to repair that likely causing him to miss the entire 2024 season. Unlike Soroka, though, he's under team control for three more years, but Atlanta probably just didn't want to deal with the shoulder risk in right, and that's why they traded him. Kowar, on the other hand, hasn't really done much in his major league career, pitched in 39 games and starting in eight of those. He has a career 9.12 ERA and a 2.09 whip, so that should probably tell you enough about Atlanta's risk adverseness on, uh, in regards to the rest of Kyle Wright's career. Calch Quantrill, after being DFA'd from Cleveland, was ultimately traded to Colorado. As a pitcher who struggles to strike guys out, I can't imagine this move to altitude is particularly good for Quantrill's value. Not there was much there anyways, other than the occasional spot start. I believe his caper 9 is like somewhere between 5 and 6, and so yeah, that's just a, not a great recipe for a guy who is moving to a place that is known for, uh, act, uh, known for you know, being bad for contact pitchers, basically. Cleveland also traded for Scott Barlow from the Padres, which I think is an interesting move considering that they already have Emmanuel Classe. Barlow didn't have a very productive season in 2023, ultimately finishing with 20 saves plus holds in 63 appearances. 
He does have decent strikeout numbers, though, as he has a career 10.65K per nine. But essentially, he is now the setup man at Cleveland, and he doesn't have much fantasy relevance in saves-only leagues. In other Cleveland news, uh, the team also re-signed Ramon Laureano. Uh, there was some hype around his game during draft season this past year as a late outfielder sleeper, as he had finished the second straight year with 10-plus homers and 10-plus steals in under 100 games. Uh, and there was the thought, you know, maybe if he gets to 150 games with Oakland, they obviously have nothing to play for. Um, he could maybe get 15 homers and 15 steals or something like that, contribute as an outfielder three or outfielder four on a team. However, he dealt with injuries all season. Uh, I believe he was dealing with a broken hand for part of it and only managed to play 105 games in 2023 with Oakland and some with Cleveland, ultimately finishing with a 224, 304, 371 slash line and nine homers in 12 steals. I would say the Cleveland offense is not really an offense I particularly want to invest in, but Loriano has the potential to be another sleeper. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't prioritize him, but if you're in a five outfielder league, maybe Loriano is some guy that you look at in that OF4 spot. Luis Urias of the Red Sox was actually traded to the Mariners uh, in the past couple of weeks. The infielder spent time with both the Brewers and the Red Sox last season, but had a pretty forgettable one. Uh, Nowhere near his form back in 2021, where he averaged 249 with 23 homers, 77 runs, and 75 RBIs. Uh, of course, now he's going to Seattle, which isn't great for hitting. That being said, though, he's going there to be the starting third baseman because they ended up training Eugenio Suarez to the Diamondbacks. Eugenio struggled with power last season. He finished only with 22 homers, but all his other metrics pretty much stayed the same. Walk rate and strikeout rate both, with, both went down by just a tiny bit, about 1% and his average and OBP basically stayed the same. Maybe a change to the desert will help as he'll slot in as a starting third baseman for the Snakes. Big thing here, of course, is that Eugenio, a lot of his success was coming from playing in Cincinnati. Moving to Seattle, which is not a hitter's park, was probably not the best thing for his fantasy relevance, uh, but maybe going to Arizona, where even though they do have a humidor, um, you know, it's just maybe a little bit better park for hitters. Uh, compared to Seattle, maybe that helps increase his fantasy value. One of the bigger stories of the offseason so far has been the Brewers' non-tendering Brandon Woodruff. He's expected to miss most of the 2024 season due to shoulder surgery. He was projected to earn $11 million through arbitration and then was going to hit free agency next season. So the moves make some sense money-wise for the Brewers, but also the Brewers have just kind of been in a mode where they are not re-signing a bunch of their veterans. Um, you know, they non-tendered Rowdy Telez, I believe, and um, and a couple other veterans as well. Uh, obviously, they let their manager, Craig Council, go to the to the Cubs. Uh, and it sounds like Corbin Burns also doesn't love the fact that he's staying in Milwaukee for another year. So this is maybe also just a move because the Brewers are trying to be cost-cutting this season. It'll be interesting to see what type of what type of deal Woodruff gets and what teams are really interested in him because he's not going to play for most of 2024, if at all. Uh, because when he's healthy, though, Woodruff is a top 10 pitcher. The only problem is, you know, the contract that you sign him to, you're basically losing one season of that. So uh, whether he gets a two-year deal that is, you know, basically backloaded for that second season, or he gets a longer-term deal where a team is willing to, you know, spend more overall money but maybe have a lower annual average due to him missing that first year uh maybe that's what he gets but um yeah he's he's incredibly elite obviously when when healthy but the problem is of course that that shoulder injury 
Another pitcher uh, in the news, Aaron Nola. He ultimately re-signs with the Phillies with a seven-year, $172 million contract. Nola struggled last season for his standards, finishing with a 4.46 ERA and a 1.15 whip. However, seeing as the Nola trend the past few seasons is one good season, one bad season, I can only predict that he'll have a good season this upcoming year. Steamer has him currently projected for a 3.8 ERA, a 1.16 whip, and a 25% strikeout rate. So not terribly elite numbers, um, but definitely decent, decent numbers compared to this season. We'll see if that ends up sticking for Nola. And then finally, the Cardinals made a couple deals with a few veteran pitchers, signing Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson to one-year deals. Their current rotation on roster resources, Miles Michaelis, Gibson, Lynn, Steven Matz, and Zach Thompson. Now, they don't have much in terms of prospects who could potentially make an impact with the Major League team, with the exception of Matthew Libertor, who honestly has struggled to stick at the, at the Major League level the past three seasons, so I wouldn't really expect him to be you know, the real next option up for that team. Uh, it would be surprising if they go out and sign a couple more free agent pitchers, but clearly this team is not really looking to compete with that type of rotation. Uh, yes, they still have Paul Goldschmidt. Yes, they still have um, Nolan Arenado uh, and a bunch of other you know really good hitters. Actually, Tommy Edmond uh, still shows some flashes, uh, and you know they have a loaded outfield uh, when the guys are healthy. However, <laughs> this pitching rotation just is not it. So I would not be surprised to see them try to go out and and maybe. Uh, do a little bit more for the rotation because it really isn't that difficult to compete in the NL Central, uh, and it'd be interesting to see who ends up there. Now, seeing that this podcast is actually coming out after Thanksgiving, I'm sure everyone is busy with the holiday season, and you might be just busy trying to run around. Obviously, maybe you just cooked a huge Thanksgiving meal, and the last thing you want to do is spend more time in the kitchen. And you might be looking for some nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. If you're too busy with holiday plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well, with Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Skip the stress of meal prepping over the holidays with Factor. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. Are you looking for special occasion meals during the holidays? You can get their Gourmet Plus options, which are prepared to perfection by chefs and are ready to eat in record time. There's premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. And if you're too busy running around to plan lunch, Factor has you covered with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Looking for calorie-conscious options over the holidays that also taste great? Try delicious, dietitian-approved, calorie-smart meals with less than 550 calories per serving. If you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best during the busy holidays, try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Enjoy extra convenience any time of day with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Choose from breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, potato bacon and egg breakfast skillets, or if you need an extra wellness boost, Try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. 
With Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity for production sites and offices. This November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. You can head to factormeals.com slash TWFB50 and use code TWFB50 to get 50% off. Again, that's factormeals.com slash TWFB50 and use the code TWFB50 to get 50% off your next order at Factor Meals. Joining the pod now is Pitchless writer Martin Sikulski. Hi, Martin. How are you doing? Can you introduce yourself and uh, what you do at PL and maybe a bit of your history of fantasy baseball? Yeah, so I just started with uh, Pitcher List um, earlier this uh, this year, around September or so. I work on the fantasy team with uh, Matt Heckman, um, or the dynasty team, I should say, with Matt Heckman. And um, yeah, I uh, started playing fantasy baseball probably in 2015, 2016 or so. Um, kind of got away from it for a while and then hopped back into it in 2019. Um, <clears throat> I started writing uh, actually around this time last year, uh, Chris Clegg, um, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. He posted a thing on Twitter and said, anybody that's interested, um, reach out to me and I'll give you some some pointers. So um, between his guidance and um, just kind of starting, I, I, I have a sub stack um, that I use. Um, you can find a link to on my Twitter handle. Um, that's kind of where I started. And then uh, Miles from PitcherList reached out earlier this year and said, hey, we're looking for, for some people. And uh, I guess the rest is history. So. Very cool. How'd you get involved with uh, Dynasty initially? Because that's obviously something that maybe people don't immediately jump into when it comes to fantasy baseball. Yeah, so I used to just do redraft um, at the very beginning just to get my feet wet. Um, but I've always had a, a passion for running a baseball team, and this is as close as you get without being a general manager. So, you know, there's 30 general managers in baseball, and I'm not one of them, but I'm one in my own mind. So I've got... Uh, five or six dynasty teams that I've got right now. Um, in addition to some of the NFBC stuff um, that I participated in as well. So that's always been a passion of mine to, to follow prospects and just kind of build a team from the ground up. Uh, I like taking on rebuilds as well. That's always fun. Um, just like to challenge myself and see what I'm capable of. So nice. Well, yeah, we definitely appreciate all the dynasty content that the team is coming out with during this off season. Uh, definitely helps to kind of, fill the blank spaces as we're waiting for uh, spring training to start next year. It's always nice to get a little bit of information in on, you know, prospect we should care about and uh, things like that. Um, the the dynasty team has been pretty prolific at, at Pitcherless the past couple months. I think you yourself have, have helped out with definitely a few articles. Um, in our last episode, we talked with uh, Matt Heckman specifically about the every pitching prospect article. And uh, this, this episode we're we're going to talk about, the every hitting prospect article that you helped out with, and as well as the uh, first year player drafts uh, article that you, um, I think, are just coming out with this week. I think is going to be published on Pitcher List. So um, a lot of content if you like Dynasty, uh, but also if you like Redraft. I think um, a lot of these names are going to show up in both Redraft and Dynasty this upcoming season. So um, definitely some interesting content for people to check out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We we've got um like you said, I've got a first year player draft um article that's gonna be coming out. Should have come out Monday, but we had some 
uh, website relaunches that we're going to be working on. So you guys got to go check that out when, when that gets up and running again, probably after the holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that article will actually probably come out once that's back up. Um, and that's the five players that impacted um, from the first year player draft pool um, that made an impact this year. And then toward the end of the month, I'm actually going to have my top 25 deep dive into um, my top 25 players available in the first year player draft. It's about, that's probably about a 12,000 word document. So um, <laughs> check, so check that out. It's going to go over my top 25 and kind of break down each player individually, um, pitcher arsenals, batter stances, um, swing mechanics, things like that. So I'll have to check that out when that rolls out um, toward the end of the month. So yeah, that, that sounds super awesome. And, really interested in all the the deep dives that you're going to be doing there um so we're going to start with that the every hitting prospect article and you know for the for the people who didn't read this yet kind of the gist is you guys looked at pretty much every single hitting prospect uh or even not every single but at least five from each team that were were likely to you know make play in the majors in 2024 so i think this is helpful for both uh, people who play dynasty and for redraft um you specifically helped out with the nl central and al east teams blurbs and one of the most elite hitting prospects of that group in, in those two divisions i think is jackson trurio of the brewers and uh unfortunately the brewers decide to be boring and and say that he's going to be starting 2024 in AAA. although i'm sure a bunch of us were hoping he'd be starting uh in the majors but he should still come up to the to the big league team later in the season. Uh, what do you think is so interesting about Churio's game, and why should managers in redraft leagues be excited about him? Yeah, Churio's a fun prospect. Um, he's a legit power-speed threat. Um, of all the players that we're going to talk about tonight, he's by far the most elite as far as base running goes. Um, he's a 70-grade runner. That's definitely, of all of his tools, I think that's probably the biggest, uh, but he's got... He's a five-tool guy for sure. Uh, his power, um, is, it's enormous. Um, power to all fields, easy power. Uh, I was doing some some notes before the before the show. He's got uh, 90th percentile exit velocity is 102 miles an hour with a max EV of 111. So his max EV isn't quite what you'd consider elite, but we've got to remember he's only 19 years old. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's uh, he was a big riser in 2022. That's kind of his breakout. Um, he had 20 homers and 16 steals mm-hmm. and a 160 WRC plus, which is insane across three levels. And that was at 18. So this past year, um, 2023 had 22 homers and 44 steals in, in, uh, in double a mainly in double a, um, he did struggle a little bit. It's kind of well, been well documented about him struggling a little bit early on with, a, with the tacky ball in the Southern league. Um, once they kind of took that built in advantage away from the pitchers, he just mashed. So he, um, 282, 338, 467 slash, sub 20% K rate. The thing with Churio is he's got just 21 at bats in AAA, mm-hmm. so he's going to need some time. But a lot like these players we're going to talk about tonight, very few players are going to hold these guys back from when they're ready. So we're, we're talking about the Brewers. They're obviously leaning toward a heavy rebuild. Woodruff's out for the year. Burns has basically said he's gone. So what's next? So we're talking about Yelich, Adamas, maybe Devin Williams. They could all be on the move. So with that said, there's going to be open spots. So if you consider an outfield, if they if they can move Yelich in his contract, possible. But you're looking at an outfield with Garrett Mitchell, Freilich, Churio, and then you know maybe Joey Weimer is a fourth outfielder. 
that's a pretty exciting group for for the Brewers, especially in a rebuild. I just really like Cheerio, Le- legit power speed. Um, I think in his peak, we're looking at, I think we're looking at Ronald Acuna light. And I hate to use that comp, but <laughs> yeah. he's the closest. Yeah, but he's the closest realistically to the to the tools that Cheerio's got. Um, but he's going to be light. He's not going to get, I don't think he's going to steal 75 bases and hit 50 home runs, mm-hmm. but he's got legit 40, 40, 50 upside if everything pans out for him, he's he's definitely going to be impactful. I think we'll see Cheerio sometime around the All-Star break, possibly earlier, um, but he definitely needs some some seasoning in AAA before they get him up. And remember, he's just going to turn 20 at opening day. Right. I think that's the crazy thing, right, is how young he is. And, uh, and yeah, even I think, yeah, the hype is definitely real around him. Um it's funny that you list kind of those those outfielders in the uh, in the Brewers outfield, and you're like, "Well, I've heard of Sal Freelich, but uh, uh, Garrett Mitchell. Yeah, I'm sure if you're like a baseball sicko, you kind of know who that is. Um, right. But then you kind of then you're like, "Oh, Joey Weimer is kind of the next guy if you don't count Yelich." It's like, "Oh man, uh, yeah, they could definitely use like a, a power speed guy up uh, up in the majors with the rest of that team," and. Um, like you mentioned, only 11 games at AAA, so still definitely some some time for him to grow uh, in, in the minors, but um, definitely one of those guys who I think will be on a lot of short lists in terms of, you know, as soon as people hear about him coming, you know, rumors about him coming up, I think uh, the the waiver wire will be a little populated and trying to get bids out for, for Churio. Yeah, he, he might be a target in, in like a in like a DC, like a 50 player draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 yeah. Deep rosters. He might be a target there. Um, if you're taking him in a, in like a gladiator format, you're going to take a zero for a lot of the season. So, right. Um, but as far as dynasty goes, he's about as premium as of an asset you're going to have um, as far as prospects go. Yeah. I, I have his brother, so yes. I'm like hoping a little bit of, of Jackson rubs off onto him a little bit, but uh, he's obviously not nowhere near the level of where where jackson is right now so he's gonna be a quick riser though watch him he's he's not gonna be at that level but he's he's a uh he's a decent player don't don't sleep on jason cheerio all right sounds good i, I won't all right. <laughs> um ironically the next guy we're talking about also is named jackson uh but it's yeah. jackson holiday of the orioles uh, I think this is a guy who a lot of people probably know mainly because he was the number one pick in 2022. He's got the pedigree as well as he's the son of Matt Holiday. Uh, also super young. He's only 19 right now. And it looks like he's got a chance to make uh, the Orioles open day, opening day roster. Obviously nothing set in stone, but I think the team has said he's going to be allowed to compete in spring training. Um, I was looking at his uh nfc adp right now and it's basically it's like 202 which puts him kind of around the 16th round at a 12 teamer um i guess this maybe takes a little bit of prognostication for you do you think that is going to go up as spring training starts and how high is too high to draft jackson holiday in in a redraft league yeah um so to answer the question about the adp first um yeah it's gonna go up um i'm comfortable at the current adp mm-hmm uh, I think if we see a strong spring, um, and obviously if he's formally announced as a starting shortstop, his value is going to skyrocket. I think it's going to be similar to kind of what we saw out of Jordan Walker last year. Sure. Where yeah. mm-hmm. the, the ADP was hanging around like the 170s, 180s, and then I think he got up to like 95. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's what we're looking at with Holiday. Um, 
he's he's got it all. He's he's tool. He's got tools for days. He's not as flashy as Cheerio, mm-hmm. um, but he's got a little bit of everything. He's got that simple swing that's compact to the ball. Um, the power isn't quite there yet. I think he he needs some room to develop on his body. Uh, but long term, he's still probably a twenty homer bat. Um, as far as redraft goes in general, I was looking at some steamer projections. Um, they've got him around two fifty five. Um, hitting in the eight spot in the order. I think if he's going to be up in Baltimore, I think he's going to hit higher up in the order. I, I can't see him hitting eighth. The bat is just too good. The on-base skills are just too good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to adjust. He's going to need some time to adjust. But I think of all the players that we're going to talk about tonight, well, aside from one obvious one, which we'll get to later, um, he's he just seems like he's a lock to make the opening day roster. Yeah, The Orioles just... And it's and it's crazy. To, it speaks to how talented he is because they're in their competitive window, right? They mm-hmm. they just made the playoffs. They've got all this young talent with Henderson and Rutschman, and now they're going to bring up Holiday. They've got Kerstad. They're ready, and they're and it just speaks to how great he is as a prospect. I mean, we're talking about a kid that was he was just 19 last year, like you mentioned, one of four teenagers this past season who walked over 100 times. That's that's insane. So. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a kid that's, you know, he's a 60 grade runner, which if you watch video on him, you'd say, you'd say, I don't, I don't see it. Right. But he's very instinctual. He's very well versed in all facets of the game. He's got that high baseball IQ. He's just, he's just a player. He's just a ball player. He looks like he's 12 but <laughs> at the same time. He's a, he's a legit, legit top prospect. I think he's the top real life prospect of baseball. Okay. He may not be the top fantasy prospect. We'll talk about that guy next, mm-hmm. probably. Um, but as far as the ADP, just to kind of round, you know, back into form here. Um, right now, he's going ahead of Willie Adamas, Trevor Story, Ezekiel Tovar, and Carlos Correa. Um, I'm okay with that um, in the sense of I think his floor is a little bit higher than those guys. We're looking at Adamas, who's got a poor batting average. Story hasn't been healthy. Tovar is kind of a wild card playing in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Correa is not much of a fantasy value. Um, if you're looking at guys that are he's going just behind Tommy Edmond, Estrada, Volpe, Swanson, Bogarts, I think I'm okay with where he's at in the grand scheme of things. I think I'd actually take him ahead of Edmond, Volpe, and maybe even Bogarts. Okay. And I know that's kind of a stretch. The only reason I think that is because if you look at Bogarts' numbers, he's a good average guy. Mm-hmm. But his his counting stats were significantly down last year. And if we're looking at the, the Padres possibly trading Soto, those stats are going to go down even even more. Right. Yeah. Um, and then if you're looking at uh, Edmund and Volpe, yeah, they're good at stealing bases, but they're batting average liabilities. Mm-hmm. I just think that the batting average, their steamers got him at 255. I think that's low. I think he's easily a 270 hitter, maybe higher. The bat to ball skills are just incredible. Um, his strikeouts may climb a little bit, but overall, I think he's pretty safe. So, yeah, and I think like an interesting uh, thing with uh, Holiday as well is if you happen to be in OBP leagues, I think his value actually goes up even a little bit more because of his uh, his walk rate. Yeah, yeah, he had a twenty one percent walk rate last season, which is crazy at nineteen years old compared to a twenty four point seven percent K rate. So, yeah, the on base skills are definitely there. Four forty two on base percentage last year. Um, Played at four across four different levels, including AAA. Yeah, he's he's ready. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to see him uh up there. And yeah, he I mean he has no one blocking him, so the Orioles really have right. uh no reason to to bring to not bring him up. I guess unless he, he struggles on spring training, so there's that. Um But anyways, the last guy I want to talk about from you know the every hitting prospect article is um is Junior Camarino, who I think to me at least as, as someone who like participates in in dynasty baseball but i'm not like always like plugged into what's going on i feel like his rise last season was like not necessarily out of nowhere but it felt like all of a sudden we had a guy who's like the the like the can't miss prospect i guess in terms of dynasty and then the Braves brought him up uh at the end of the season didn't do too didn't do too much 36 plate appearances had one homer seven rbis but with that like short stint in the majors, I think it was only seven games or something like that. Did did that change any of your opinion on Camarino? And do you think he has the potential to stick in the majors next season? So yeah, so we didn't get him a lot a lot out of uh, Camarino last year, coming up straight from Double A to the big leagues. But I think that in his sample, even though it was only thirty six at bats or played appearances. I really think that shows that he's ready to compete for an opening day spot. Mm-hmm. Um, he just turned twenty in July. But he really held his own. I know, like I said, it was small sample size. But if you watch his plate appearances, he's got a really solid plate approach. Um, he's got massive power. His The home run he hit, now granted, Tim Mazum missed out over the middle of the plate with a sinker, but 94-mile-hour sinker, and he hammered it opposite field in Toronto, which is a pitcher-friendly park. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy this guy could rake. Um, he probably would have had a second home run uh, in a game he had a, at Fenway Park. He hit one off the basically off the top of the monster that would have been out and anywhere else and was a wall ball double there, but he just really, he just got it. He's got it together. My one concern is the race. So they're always going to raise. They're going to platoon, which is a problem. The other problem is, is where's he going to play? So we've got Isaac Paredes at third, Yandy Diaz at first. Caminero has played short before. I'm not sure that he's the long-term fix there. But as we know, they don't have a shortstop right now. Um, there's a guy that got suspended we, I'm not going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But then there's Taylor Walls, who would have been the starter. He's now been out. He's He had surgery uh, not too long ago, so he's going to be out for like six months. So they can run with Osalvis Basabe, who's a nice player, or they can take their shot with their number you know, their number one prospect. I really think that Caminero is going to be a guy, and he's going to be a guy for a long time. I worry about the platoon factor in Tampa. Mm-hmm. But ultimately... They're going to do – the Rays just do what they're going to do. Um, and it's frustrating because as a fantasy player and a dynasty writer, it's really hard to evaluate some of their guys. Right. But Caminero is a guy. He is, the, he is their guy, and I think he's going to get a look. Um, I'm just not sure how impactful he's going to be in dynasty this year. But I think if we're looking more at 2025, I think he's a legit top five player at his position. Okay. Yeah, it's it is kind of funny with the Rays because I remember you know we had been talking about the Rays all throughout the season, and you know one of the players that always came up was like Luke Rayleigh, who's like oh he's having a great season, but he only plays like two out of three games, and so he's not a reliable guy for fantasy. And then like you mentioned with Camarino, it's like well he technically has two people blocking him, uh, but are they really blocking him? Is, is kind of the question. Like you know will the Rays will the Rays allow him to play? I guess is kind of the question here. It always feels like with the Rays, they always have just way too much infield talent. And so they end up just yeah. like basically blocking their own guys. I mean, we had this situation a couple years. I mean, I think it was like last season or the year before it was like, Oh, did all Bruhan, is he coming up? And 
you really just never got a chance and now he's not not even in the organization jonathan aranda's guy i've been personally waiting on for a while and he just hasn't done anything i was Uh, gonna bring him up (laughs) yeah curtis mead is also in that organization and also plays third base and and middle infield so yeah they they have a lot of players to fill those spots and it just feels like with the rays they're just gonna find a way to to platoon even if it doesn't make any sense to do it they've got so many they've got so many bodies it's kind of like with the situation the reds are in with all sure. the middle infield infield talent in general but yep. the problem is the reds will make space for those guys yeah they'll move guys around they'll move spencer steer to, to left field or right field so they can get at bats for ellie and in noel Marte. and mm-hmm. the rays just they're so stubborn in their ways and it's so frustrating as a fantasy guy to be able to to try to roster their players you just don't know what's next i've got so many shares of both me and Caminero in my yeah. leagues and you just you want to pencil them in as everyday players but you just know better right so. <laughs> yeah yeah because the rays are going to ray all right well pivoting from just hitters i mean we're obviously still going to talk about hitters but now we're going to focus a little bit more maybe dynasty centric but some of these guys that we're going to talk about are still relevant with in terms of redraft leagues um pulling from yeah the first year player draft article that um that's coming out soon uh probably probably will be out by the time that this podcast is published uh but the the first guy that i want to talk about really is uh wyatt langford who more or less has just taken the entire baseball world by storm he was drafted third um in the you know the 2023 draft and then um gets basically moves up four four levels in and plays at triple a in a couple of months uh he's with the texas organization and it really seems kind of like a foregone conclusion that he's going to be on the opening day roster which i think is a little ridiculous for what maybe people were thinking about back when the draft was originally happening but he really is kind of you know can't miss status at this point is there any reason in your mind that you wouldn't take him number one overall in a first-year player draft Oh, to answer that question first, I literally wrote this down. I said, unless you're rostering an outfield where you have Acuna, Betts, Soto, Judge, and Alvarez, <laughs> then, you're, then you're taking Langford at number one in FYPD. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the exception, obviously, would be a team that's desperately in need of pitching, and then you can make a sure. case for Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. But Langford, he, I literally wrote it down. Langford's ridiculous. Yeah. So he, he's got – he's 6'1", 225. He's incredibly strong. The swing is simple his hands are explosive to the ball. And when I say a simple swing, I mean, very little moving parts, very little room for error. Sure. Yeah. Um, he's got plus power to all fields. He doesn't chase. He makes solid swing decisions. Um, his plate advances approached. I mean, he walked north of 20% um, over the last calendar year, which I'll cover in just a second. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, he does run um, his, he ran a little bit. He had 12 steals in the 161 minor league at bats last year. Um I'm not sure how much he'll run in the big leagues, but he's shown above average speed and, and good instincts for that. Um, he's going to have to play at a corner. I don't think he's ready. He can't play center field, but that's fine because they'll just move Evan Carter to center field. We just saw what Carter is capable of doing. Right. And if you consider the impact that Carter had late in the season and in the postseason, and then you think about the fact that Langford's a better player than Carter, that just shows you how big of a monster that Langford can be. So I, I put this out because I just I couldn't believe it when I when I saw it. So between his hundred he had played 108 games between his his season at Florida and then minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. He hit three, he had a 368, 491, 741 slash, 31 homers, 119 runs, 87 RBIs, 21 steals. 
with a 23% walk rate and a 19% K rate. So if that guy doesn't doesn't move the needle for you, I'm not <laughs> sure that you should be playing fantasy baseball. So, and this is this is kind of along the same lines of of Cheerio, yeah, and and Holiday both, where no one on their roster is going to keep him from making the big leagues when he's ready. Right. And I I don't see a way that he doesn't. Worst case scenario. They decide to play the manipulation game where they keep him down for the 10 days just yep. to manipulate the... But I think that he's legitimately... It's going to be fun. The American League Rookie of the Year could be really fun because if Langford and Holiday mm-hmm. both make the opening day roster and maybe Yamamoto signs with an American League team, that American League Rookie of the Year competition is going to be insane. Right. And so, I mean, we're talking about three guys that are all high-impact guys right off the bat. Um, I just think Langford is a no is a no brainer number one mm-hmm. in FYPDs. The only exception again would be if you're just so loaded at outfield that you don't have any room for him. Which, if that's the case, you probably don't have the number one pick in fantasy for your FYPD, anyways. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, unless you somehow like lucked into it if you have like a lottery system or something like that. Um, yeah, I was like looking at the 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 Rangers roster, and it's like the only guy that's really you know, quote unquote blocking is like Leody Tavares. And um, yeah, I think, I think the Rangers would be happy to move Tavares to like a fourth outfielder role just to, um, yeah. to, to bring Wyatt up to the, to the big leagues. Um, yeah. And Garcia is getting a little bit older too. People, people forget about Garcia because he's been, he's been in the big leagues now, I think for like four seasons, mm-hmm. but I think he's going to be like 32. So he came over a little bit late. Um, so he's getting a little bit older, not that 32 is old, but mm-hmm. as we get into baseball terms, if we're talking about, you know, 23-year-old Wyatt Langford mm-hmm. or 32-year-old Adolis Garcia. I mean, obviously Garcia is a, a foundational piece for that organization, but with that said, his value is all-time high. If they really wanted to get frisky, they could play Langford and Carter in center, and then they could realistically play Tavares and right if they wanted to. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be ideal. I think Garcia is fine there, but again, if you have Tavares as a fourth outfielder, that's going to be just fine. He's not good enough to keep Langford from playing in the big leagues. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That Rangers roster is just uh, loaded both with top end talent and with top end youth talent as well. So it feels a little, yeah. little unfair right now for everyone in the AL competing with them just a little bit. Um, I guess speaking, speaking about Langford just a little bit, a little bit more, um, you know, you look at his his stats last year in the minors. Is there anything? I know you mentioned the walk rate is kind of pretty notable. Is there anything else that kind of jumped out to you in in his, um, in his professional uh, professional season? Yeah, I think. I mean, if you're looking at 161 at bats to hit 10 homers and steal 12 bags, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I know that his. <laughs> it's funny because he put up an OPS of 11.57, which yeah, I mean. He's he's 22 years old. He had, he went. I, my the title of my of my section on Langford is from draft day to AAA. Yeah, because literally it seems like it didn't take him long at all. Right. So I mean I think he played 40 games maybe in the minors, and to jump across four levels and just he dominated all of them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even close. And so yeah, I just and there's so many gaudy stats that he that he has, but an 11.57 OPS fresh out of college is just it's just absurd right yeah he like a full season at florida and then goes yeah. through all the craziness of the draft and then you know joins uh 
uh, plays in his first professional game makes a uh you know what is it like a ground his first hit was like a grounder right or not to, not hit for his first yeah. hit bat like resulted a grounder and he was yeah, like first uh, hit ground up, yeah. yeah he was like oh that's not me i'm just going to just destroy the rest of uh the rest of this summer so <laughs> yeah it, yeah, it's kind of impressive if anyone's listening and they haven't heard of wyatt langford or you haven't seen video on langford just take a look at some of the stuff that he's done it's it's just really impressive he's he's a complete he's a complete hitter his plate approach is well advanced he's got massive power i he just he's really he feels really really safe mm-hmm. and as a redraft player i've got I'm trying to think I've done two drafts already. I've ended up with Langford in both drafts. And I think the, I think his min pick has been like 91. Oh, so wow. he's okay. going to be a top, he's going to end up being a top hundred player by the time it's all said and done. Yeah. Especially if he has a strong spring by the time we draft in March, his number is just going to shoot through the roof. Right. Yeah, do, you, do you see him kind of like in that outfielder two conversation almost like, is he, is he good enough to be there? Or is he still kind of more of an outfielder three? I mean, you know, whatever those terms truly mean, I guess, in a, in a redraft uh, scenario. Yeah, yeah, he he's an outfielder three for me right now. Um, I could see a scenario where he gets bumped up into the outfield two range, mm-hmm. um, but realistic expectations, um, I'd want to have two pretty stable bats just in case, because you just never know. Right. Um, but if you can start with like a... I don't know, um, like a Juan Soto, Randy Rosarena, and then take Langford as a third mm-hmm. outfielder. I think that's a pretty solid start for your outfield. Yeah, that so seems pretty decent. There. Get that base, get that nice base, um, and just enjoy the enjoy the riches yeah. when Langford takes yeah. off. Exactly. All right, well, sh- we're going to switch gears a little bit to pitchers, and specifically the one guy we already mentioned a couple times in this podcast. Um, he's the other name I think that's kind of big and. Uh, in first-year player drafts. Probably not going to go number one, but likely will go number two. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is coming over from Japan. To you, what's interesting about Yamamoto, and do you really do you see him making like an immediate impact in the majors in 2024? Yeah, absolutely. I think if we look at what Kodai Senga did last year mm-hmm. coming over, he struggled a little bit early. His command is a little bit more volatile than, than Yamamoto's. Um, but yeah, he's going to be an impact guy. Um, I think the most obvious carrying trait for Yamamoto, especially at FYPD, is the fact that he's just 25. Mm-hmm. So realistically, he's he's not much older than your average college guy um, that would be coming out. And we've seen him perform on the biggest stage in the World Baseball Classic and absolutely dominate. Um, he struck out 12 batters in seven to third innings of the WC, WBC. Guys hit 160 against him, and we're talking about the best hitters in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a three pitch mix, upper nineties on the fastball. The splitter is just filthy, um, completely unhittable at times. And when you do hit it, you're not going to hit it very far. Um, and the curveball, if you, there's a video out there, I think it's Rob Friedman pitching Ninja, um, put this out there, but the release on his curveball is very strange. It's almost like he's throwing a yo-yo, like releasing huh. a yo-yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the pitch just completely disappears off like a big 12 to six breaker. It's he's just filthy. Um, and he's done everything there is to do in Japan. He's he won their the Sawamura Award, um, which is equivalent to their their uh, Cy Young. Mm-hmm. He won that three times. He won the Triple Crown this past season, which is wins, ERAs, and Ks. Um, he had two no hitters this year, um, including one of them with Major League scouts in attendance in September. I mean, the guy's legit. Over his last two seasons in the MVP, thirty-two and eleven ERA under one and a half, WHIP under one, twenty-seven percent. 
K rate to 5% walk rate. He's only allowed 58 earned runs in the last 364 innings, which is just absurd. Granted, there's going to be a little bit of a a transition mm-hmm. coming to the big leagues. Um, but I think he's a clear number two for FYPD purposes. It, again, it really just depends. Like I said, if if you're desperate for pitching, maybe you take him over Langford. But you may regret that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not that he's a bad player. I just think that Langford's that that special. Right. Um, and then the other thing with Yamamoto too, there's a lot of talk about the durability. He's 5'10", 175. He's not a big guy. Mm-hmm. Pedro Martinez is about that size as well. I'm not saying he's Pedro, but if we want to talk about injuries and durability concerns, isn't every single pitcher who toes the rubber an injury risk? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter how big you are or how small you are. They're like, there's, there's just a risk there. Right, exactly. And, and when you're when thinking about pitching in this in this FYPD, it's basically him and Paul Skeens yeah. that are going to be the top two arms in this draft. And I just think he's safer than Skeens. And I think Skeens is a great arm, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the bidding war that's going to ensue for him, which he just got posted, I think, yesterday or the day before, I mean, we're talking about he's going to go to a winning organization. He's going to get a ton of money. I just think he's going to be a better version of Kodai Senga. And Senga was pretty darn good this past year. I think he was like SP22 overall. Mm-hmm. So I think Yamamoto's got a big impact that he's going to make. And if you can get him in your FYPD, you've got to do it. Unless, of course, it's him or Langford, then you got to make that tough decision. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's definitely, like, basically top 40 potential Yamamoto, if if not even more ambitious than that, um, Yeah, I think. So, uh, yeah, definitely definitely someone who's going to be interesting to see where he lands. I know there's been a lot of rumors about, you know, what teams are going to be going after him. And, yeah, with the uh, – it's kind of scary to think if, like, a team like, the you know, like Atlanta goes after him or, you know, someone like – I don't know if the Dodgers are really in on it, but something like the Yankees or something like that. It's just a little scary. And I'm like, oh man, uh, now, now here's this guy that I, I'm going to have to like worry about for like the next five to eight years of uh, ruining my baseball, uh, baseball right. teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if it, and it gives you an, any idea of his perceived value across the industry, Nick Pollock has him as his SP 27, yeah. his top 200. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. I mean, Blake Snell's like 33 on that list. Yeah. And Snell just won the Cy Young. So just consider that. Consider all of it. He's got him around where Cole Reagans is. I mean, you know how he feels about the unicorn Cole Reagans. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, for the last question, we're going to move off some of these maybe guys who think maybe are like consensus elite guys. Uh, and But one guy I think that you kind of have a lot of love for, uh, Matt Shaw. He was drafted by the Cubs with a 13th pick in the 2023 draft. Uh, I think you wrote about him in both both of these articles. Um, what do you like about Shaw? I mean, I feel like a lot of people probably don't don't know who Shaw is unless maybe you're you're you know a Cubs fan. You know what what gives him that little extra X factor that makes him some a guy that you like and in your words a top five pick in first premier player drafts. Yeah, I love I love Matt Shaw. I Matt Shaw's a stud. I just. Will Middlebrooks used to play for the Red Sox. I'm sure you're probably mm-hmm. familiar with him a little bit. Yeah, he used to have a saying on Twitter all the time: "Wake and rake," and that's what Shaw does. Shaw rolls out of bed, and he hits. Um, <laughs> he's an aggressive. He's an aggressive hitter. Um, he's going to swing at first pitch quite a bit. He's good, but he's going to mash. Um, he's got average power or above average power. Excuse me to all fields. He 
He's an above average runner. Um, he's got those instincts and that high baseball IQ. Um, he's just he's just going to be a hitter. Um, his the momentum started for Shaw when he went out to the Cape Cod League in 2022. He won MVP that year and the batting title on the Cape. Um, and then he went to Maryland and just raked there too. Um, this past season at Maryland, he was 341, 24 homers, 69 RBIs, 18 stolen bases with an 1142 OPS. He walked more than he struck out. And then he went to the minors in 38 games and still kept hitting 357, eight homers, 28 RBIs, 15 steals. I just love Shaw. I think he's going to be, I think he's a gamer. He's one of those kids. It's, he's not real big. He's, I think he's like 5'10, 5'11, but he's mm-hmm. super strong. Um, and one of the things that really stood out to me is I was, I was listening to Sarah Sanchez, who's well versed on the yeah. Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on the Road of Wire pod with James Anderson a couple of days ago. And she said the Cubs basically need a third baseman. And Nico Horner, I guess, is able to play there. They feel that Horner can play there, which then opens up second base. Mm Shaw is not going to be the opening day second baseman. But I'm I'm confident in Shaw, and I'm pretty sure we're going to see Shaw midsummer, probably around the same time that we would see Churio. Um, He's just he's just a player. He's just a he's just a really solid player. He's going to hit and his bat's going to be his carrying tool. He'll be fine defensively. Don't get me wrong but the bat's going to carry. And for FYPD purposes, I wrote this down. I think other than Langford and Cruz, he's my favorite bat in this class. Hmm. So in my, in one of my leagues, I actually have the fourth pick. Um, and I'm going to assume that I'm going to miss out on Langford and Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. If Shaw is there at four and I'm between Shaw and Skeens, I'm going to take Shaw over Skeens. And it, honestly, I would really have a decision to make on Cruz and Shaw. I still think I would lean Cruz over Shaw, but I think it's closer than you'd expect. Sure. I just think he's a big he's a big impact bat, and he's going to be he's perfect for that organization. He's going to be so much fun to watch. And if you've not seen Matt Shaw, get your eyes on Shaw because he's going to take off, and you're going to regret missing out on him. So. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's interesting because in yeah he's a shortstop by trade but obviously with with dansby swanson at shortstop it's kind of like okay where does he where does he play in that organization where can he get a little bit of an opening and um yeah i think it's interesting you bring up that um that comment from sarah sanchez of well you know if horner goes to third then we've got a shot here because i think i was just looking at the the cubs depth chart it's right now it's like nick madrigal's penciled in at third i'm like yeah, i don't yeah. think they i don't think they want that <laughs> happening either they, so they don't she actually made a comment on there that they basically i guess the cubs fans call him five-step nicky because he <laughs> takes five steps to get the ball from sure. base to first which i thought was hysterical i i literally laughed out loud but yeah i, I don't think that madrigal or patrick wisdom or yeah. even chris morell and morell can play outfield but I, I don't think any of those guys are going to keep shaw from from getting there when he's ready right so. yeah yeah well patrick wisdom and his home run streak was was a lot of fun but don't yeah. see that don't see that being a little little sustainable but um i i do find it interesting too you mentioned you know his, his stats at maryland and then you look at his stats in in the majors or not in the majors, sorry in in the minors and um how close they are like his his ops is like 1018 i think in the minors and i think you said it was just like it was like what 12 12 something in 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 maryland yeah it was 1142 yeah. yeah so it's like he yeah. he moved from college to to the pros and and basically nothing changed in this game and he was just just right. as good <laughs> so 
Yeah. And he, honestly, if you look at the stats, he was just as good as, as Langford was mm. coming, you know, on this, and which is just crazy to think about, but he was just as impressive as Langford was in the minors. And he's just, he's not as toolsy. He's not as big, mm-hmm. but he's just got that pure baseball. He's just a baseball player. It actually says on his Maryland um, bio that he's, his aspirations are to be a major league player, which <laughs> He'll be there. It's yeah. just, it was funny to see because like it's like when I go when I grow up, I want to be a professional baseball player. Well, Matt Shaw, it's gonna happen, kid. So right. keep keep going. Yeah, yeah. That that I, we didn't really talk about it, but that the sixty grade speed that he's got on Fangraphs is also kind of kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, showed it off a little bit in the minors, which was cool. Um, we'll see how that translates to the, the his game in the majors. Um, well, anyways, thank, uh, thanks, Martin, for for coming on the podcast. Uh, obviously, a lot of fun to talk about uh, both redraft and dynasty in relation to a lot of these young guys that are coming out. And I think it's always fun to talk about prospects because you know they're the guys that we don't really know a ton about, but there's a lot that we can project and a lot that we can dream um, about these guys. Uh, feel free to if you've got some if you got some other articles coming out on Pitchless. I know you mentioned you've got like that huge twelve thousand word one coming out. Um, or if there's any other ways that people can see your work, um, you know, on social media or uh, Substack, uh, feel free to share that with uh, with the pod. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I've got a Substack. Kind of, kind of evaluating what I want to do with that moving forward. Um, thinking about possibly doing a pod at some point, but um, Substack, I'm kind of slowing down. I'm going to focus some more on Pitcher List. Um, got some other opportunities I want to pursue as well. Um, but you can find me on uh, Twitter. It's at M underscore SKI 22. Um, and from there, you can link to my Substack as well. Um, for Pitcher List, I've got the uh, five things you need to know about the FYPD class that's going to be coming out probably by the time this airs. In addition to the top 25 FYPD players that are going to be coming out toward the end of the month. Um, in December, we're looking at uh, some other dynasty work. One of the things I'm starting on right now is going to be um, veteran values for um, for dynasty leagues that you should be buying in on. So I'm going to look at some intriguing guys. Um, I just sat, sat Matt the names the other day. Guys like uh, J.P. Crawford, Wilmer Flores, um, Seth Lugo, just some veteran guys that kind of go under the radar that still have value in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we're just going to keep going with our with our big spin on. Um, on dynasty stuff in December. And then as January gets forward, um, we'll start focusing on the team breakdowns. Oh, and also I'm going to do a rule five article um, coming up sometime before Christmas. Oh yeah. Uh, recapping the rule. F- yeah. Rule five draft is on December 14th. So I'm going to be putting that article out um, around the week before Christmas. So keep an eye on that as well. And I appreciate you having me on and get to uh, talk baseball. It's always fun. Yeah, no problem. Uh, before I let you go, I do have one one burning question. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Twins fan. So where are you taking Walker Jen- Jenkins in a first-year player draft? I've got Jenkins at five right now. Jenkins at five. Okay, that's what I like yeah, to hear. I've got Jenkins at five. In the art- <laughs> yeah, the article that I'm going to put out, I believe I had him at five. Let me double okay. check my rankings. But Jenkins is a stud. Um, he's going to be – he's a prep bat. Yeah. Um, but he's got all the tools. Uh, he's definitely a, a very intriguing player. Um, he just he couldn't climb up high enough just because of the obvious talent that's around him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've got Jenkins at five. Actually, in my write up, I actually have Jenkins ahead of Shaw. 
Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at my rankings. I actually have Jenkins had a Shaw. I wrote this article a while ago. So okay. I, it took a long time to put 12,000 words together. Oh, completely. Um, yeah. So I did actually have Jenkins ahead of Shaw, but yeah. So that might flip just, a little bit. <laughs> just disregard what I just said about Walker Jenkins. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's going to be a great player. Um, I, I'm a big fan of his. So, okay. Good to know. Good to know. I have something to look forward to at least. You do. He's going to be special. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Martin. Appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Martin Sikorsky for coming on the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks for more fantasy baseball. Uh, in the meantime, though, you can find us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL or send your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find myself on Twitter at the John K, and you can find Lee at Registidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the PitcherList podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy what you're hearing. Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. I can tell you right now, the community is still uh, engaged in baseball, even though it is the middle of November. So if you have your baseball itch that needs to be scratched, definitely check out the PitcherList Discord. That's all for this week. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For Lee, I'm John, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. 